0: You me. the stuff you wear is' inappropriate for what you're planning on doing you don't know anything about
1: me. I'm ready you're not none of the stuff that you're thinking means anything anyway
0: never kissed anyone before.
1: Hello and welcome to Still Watching. I'm Vanity Fair Senior Writer Joanna Robinson.
0: And I'm Vanity Fair Chief Critic Richard Lawson.
1: If you're just joining us for the first time on this podcast, what we do each week is Richard and I break down the latest episode of a show that we are currently fascinated with. Right now we are covering HBO's We Are Who We Are. We are on episode six Uh, If my math serves me correctly, so we will only be discussing up through episode six uh, this week. We have not watched future episodes, so it's just all we know. We are who we are, and who we are are people who only have seen through episode six.
0: Kisiamo, kisiamo.
1: Oh, nice. Very, molto bene. (laughs)
0: Um,
1: If you want to, in your own way, be part of this podcast, here's the best way you can do it you can email us. Still watching at gmail.com. We've been getting incredible emails around this show. I've been really, really enjoying everything you all are sending in. So we're going to start by reading a couple of those emails, talking about them before we get into this latest episode. Um, I was telling Richard before we started recording that <laughs> I, I just finished watching the episode and I have a little bit of like, trauma panic attack uh, from the ele- 2016 election night coverage mm. that runs over the closing credits and for both of us since like I was over at my sister's and my sister doesn't have a TV so I actually like found out about the election results on Twitter oh, God. Um, <laughs> and I was like watching through her window into her neighbor's window because they had a TV on kind of it was a weird night but um, sounds poetical <laughs> But um, neither of us watched uh, the election night coverage. So Richard sensibly in an act of self-care peaced out uh, when he saw what was going to play over the closing credits of this episode. Um, I watched all of it and did not have a good time. So um, this is – we are who we are and who we are is uh, Richard and Joanna watching a show set on one of the worst nights, uh, in my view, in America's history. So okay. Yeah
0: pretty bad night. Yeah.
1: Pretty bad night. And uh, I mean it's it'll be interesting to analyze why we think uh it it this is how this episode ended. Um I have some thoughts um, about it. Yeah. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Um all right. So this first email comes from Beatrice from Brazil and Beatrice writes in and says um in we are who we are not only every word means something but every silence means something. Uh your intelligent insights are a perfect fit to the show. Thank you. What a kind of thing to say. Okay. She writes what currently interests me most about we are who we are is Fraser's connection to Harper, which was explored a lot already, Sarah and Jonathan. So Fraser's connection to Harper, Sarah and Jonathan. Sarah is such a narcissist. She is the kind of character we love to hate. Have you noticed how Frazier is such a smart, eloquent, mature person around Harper and the rest of the people compared to when he's with Sarah? Very childish, aggressive, and dependent. I feel like Jonathan will be a key part of the story. Although the age gap concerns some of the audience, Elio and Oliver all over again, I'm not concerned about it. And here's unfortunately where (laughs) Beatrice Um Beatrice says I assume they will have a platonic relationship and Jonathan will bring a lot to the table such an interesting puzzling character yet so simple and almost naive. So that's from Beatrice. So um we can discuss whether or not we think this episode uh definitively puts that relationship in a non-platonic category. Uh it's as as with anything in the show it kind of defies definition. Um do you have any like immediate thoughts on that, Richard?
0: Um, I guess it was interesting. I mean, as this show has done several times, it's in- it was interesting this week to be like to have them finally tell you what was going on. You know, because we were like, maybe he's nineteen. Sturdy. And, and then there's like <laughs> and I think that she's maybe like rounding up a little bit because of the twenty seven club thing. But like yeah. even so, regardless, like that's old, you know. Um <laughs> and uh yeah, so I think it just like I i think that I, I think that was probably intentional on the writer's part to be like to kind of tease us down this little path warily. Yeah. And then in this episode be like, Oh, by the way, like this is potentially very bad. <laughs> you know yeah um even though he's a nice seemingly nice guy you know like you know it's just a very interesting sort of um whammy there that i think is also reflected by the closing credits
1: yeah when uh (laughs) when maggie said 30 i wrote in my notes 30 (laughs) like in all caps the whole time (laughs) the whole time yeah exactly (laughs) um all right so this uh on on um the question of jonathan and fraser here's uh, an email from ethan who writes in hello longtime listener first time writer i just want to thank you both for covering we are who we are it is definitely a different type of show from what you usually cover but as a huge luca fan i'm enjoying the deep dive into each episode even though i wonder if it is a show that will ultimately be best discussed and analyzed as a whole and not week by week You have discussed the mostly – mostly it was in parentheses – mostly bad faith arguments from some about the age difference between Elio and Oliver in Call Me By Your Name. It creates a scenario where I feel that frank conversations become impossible to have. I don't think it's revelatory to say that American audiences tend to be more prudish about conversations – uh, about and demonstrations of sexuality and it doesn't it does feel like luca is bringing his particularly not american sensibilities to who we are who we are i'm in total agreement with richard's point about young queer people often seeking the mentorship of older people who are similar when there is a drought of contemporaries who understand i believe the same can be said though for older people who may see a younger person and wish to imbue knowledge life lessons and friendship that they were perhaps deprived of Jonathan sharing books with Fraser and being the one to invite him to sit together at the movies and showing an interest in what Fraser wants to do with his life all fits with that just as much as Sarah seeing something in, in Caitlin slash Harper and taking them under her wing as she does the mentorship isn't what makes us nervous though but the touching in jonathan and fraser's walk and talk fraser is constantly brushing the arm of his jacket against jonathan's and i couldn't help but wonder why jonathan didn't recoil i can't help but wonder if a queer american director would have had jonathan be more forward about barriers or have shot these scenes differently which then makes me wonder if the problem is actually with me as a viewer presuming the worst I have the arguments of others shaded my views that much If everything above doesn't make it obvious, let me say explicitly that it is hard to even articulate all of this, which is why I'm so grateful for you both for doing this podcast, because for all the theorizing and fun of Westworld, this is a show that does deserve the conversations we are having It'll be interesting in the coming weeks to see how the Jonathan and Fraser relationship develops in a show that does feel like a spiritual companion to call me by your name. It wasn't lost on me that Jonathan and Fraser found themselves by a war memorial, just as Elio and Oliver did. However, there was no confession or admission here, just some playful air guitar, but there's little doubt in my mind that it is that in the coming episodes, their relationship will become more complicated. Um, and then Ethan said something some more nice stuff to us about our podcast. Thank you Ethan. Uh yeah, so uh like I mean I I don't know if we want to reopen that age gap conversation. I just think it is interesting we talked about that that aspect of mentorship of like an older an older person uh educating younger, but uh, but something that I do love in this episode uh, that we watched this week is you know Fraser getting a book for Jonathan um, and yeah there's exchange the, yeah, you know yeah, I, I think the yeah.
0: thing about the, the word mentorship and I think that that's definitely a component of it but that also implies a kind of tutelage there's an imparting of knowledge and that is right. yes a part of it but there's also just a communion you know there's a there's a there's a there's a bonding there's um, you know an exchange uh, and and i think that can be that can take many forms some less healthy than than others but uh uh you know i think that there's a the, the you know w- d- despite matters of age like the same recognizing same yeah. especially in this environment i think would be vital and i i mean i got this episode kind of leaves some question as to like who jonathan is but like um you know what he gets out of this i think is an interesting thing to think about um thus far um it's less interesting if it goes into i think more sort of territory because then it's more obvious i guess
1: yeah and and like the show has been so good thus far of just wriggling out from whatever expectations we might have mm-hmm. um yeah, and that that goes to one of the bigger points I want to talk about in this episode, and I actually just might take a detour to talk about it now, which is something I was thinking about at the start of the episode, like watching Harper uh, in gym class, and then talking um, with Fraser afterwards, stuff like that. I was like, what do these kids have in common besides their uh, like you know interest in sexuality and gender and and expressions thereof and um and anyway, and then like Richard sort of expressed the uh, Richard in the show expressed something similar like you two have nothing in common <laughs> and I was like but that is plenty to have in common you know what i mean that like same recognize same as you uh, express they're not exactly the same but they are they do have these questions beyond you know and like when like Brittany shows up in this episode and says to harper like we're still friends not even are we still friends but we are still friends um and then you look at that and you're like but what what do they have between them you know yeah. what I mean? Uh, so and and Fraser and Harper do have this profound bond over these questions that they're sussing out, seem to be sussing out for themselves. That's yeah,
0: I, I think, think. that's their that, that that's the 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 foundation of the bond in some ways. I think it's that they're two outsiders in a very ordered environment you know and and that can and and sometimes when you're that age like that's all it takes like like you 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 come together because you know you're you're mutual ports in a storm you know and um and then and then through that because they're so young they develop interests together you know uh and i think that you see that reflected in the dance sequence uh in this episode um, and the hair cutting from last week is that they that when they're giddy together they're just in their own little private world, um, f- obsessing over the things or people they like, um, and, and in the way that kids do, you know. Um, and I think that what, what something that I was thinking about with this episode that I f- a little moment where where Fraser's watching the Carl Lagerfeld video, yeah, is um, and I think the, the episode is sort of ambivalent about this. On the one hand, Fraser and Harper. Two kids there, you know, each other's age, like have that. But also, Fraser, especially, seems to be like gazing at the grown up world far away from him and kind of emulating that. And, you know, I've done a lot of like reporting and stuff on, on like YouTube culture and and, yeah. and, 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 and like digital fame. And one of the sort of more cultural, broader academic concerns or not concerns, but like questions about all of that is in this, with generations now um, that are so steeped in, uh, like kind of lateral exchange between each other. You sign online and you see the latest YouTube video from a kid your age or maybe a year or two older or three years older. Whereas when we were young, minus the odd teen show that were all created by adults. Yeah. We were watching stories and things made by grownups, music made by grownups for the most case, and sort of right. looking up at that. And I think that yeah. we we developed aspiration towards things while also having our own friends or our, our peers. Um, And I think that given that Harper and Fraser are in this community that is so led by adult interest and adult demand and requirement um, that they are two people who are curious about life past this, but in a different way than the people getting funneled into the military industrial complex. Um, that distinguishes them, you know. And whether or not it's a good thing that Fraser has heroes older than him, be it Carl Lagerfeld or Jonathan, or that Harper is watching young people on YouTube go through their transition, um, I think what this episode shows is that both are valid forms of kind of para communication with the outside world. I guess
1: I love that. I I hadn't thought about that idea of lateral communication, lateral education, uh, amongst this generation, but it's obviously what we're seeing, uh, as you say, first on YouTube, um, now on TikTok and stuff like that. And, or now on both, um, but it's fascinating. And I, and I'm like, i like, it makes me of course, wonder like what, what, wh- which I do all the time, what would my teen years have been like, uh, if I had grown up in a world where I could see that there were more kids out there like me than i thought etc you know
0: um and 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 i think that a lot of times that and i'm guilty of it too when i've written about youtube and like how great you great youtube is for like sure it has neo-nazis and racists and all that shit but like it also has like queer coming out videos and things like that and that is good But that doesn't is not a replacement for real interaction, and I think that kids now still feel that and know that that is abundantly clear in like mental health statistics and all that stuff. YouTube and Instagram have not saved people entirely, and I think so. You still see Fraser reaching out to this person in a way that um, uh, that Harper doesn't have, you know, and that's why we get this. I think horribly kind of sinister scene with sarah toward the end of the episode
1: i am really excited to talk to you about that um let me circle back to you brought up the dance sequence um and that takes me to another email we got from uh listener uh, bb who writes in uh okay first of all i love your podcast but i finally had to email you about some background on the show and the music you mentioned the music and show previously but somehow did not mention dev hayes uh wait hold on dev Hines. um she later emailed to say that she had misspelled the name. Okay, Dev Hines. Then in the most recent episode, Richard addresses the band that Fraser's obsessed with, and I have some information to pass along to you. Blood Orange, um, or Dev Hines. Uh, the musician that Fraser is Obsessed with is pretty fourth wall in the show. The score for We Are Who We Are is actually done by Dev. Uh, so it's been pretty hilarious that Fraser is so into him and has been playing his music pretty constantly whenever he puts his earbuds in. And so that like dance sequence that they do, um, in this episode is to one of the blood orange songs, uh, champagne coast, I believe is the title. Um, check out this crazy article. There's a New York times article that BB linked to. Apparently dev was supposed to be in the show, but instead ended up doing the score. Also dev, uh, though I'm not sure about his own sexuality has been very supportive of LGBTQ. Fraser mentions as much when he is obsessing over him and talking to Harper about him. So it actually is a great fit that dev uh is doing the show the score for the show also his music's fantastic one of my favorites of all time just figured y'all might want to know it's the first time i've had something to write to you guys about besides telling you both how freaking awesome you both are thank you i have been listening for a long time through many show recaps and across other podcasts of yours both as well basically end up loving anything you both watch really enjoy your opinions on all shows so i'll be sticking around Phoebe. Uh, and then Phoebe went on to say she she wrote like two follow-up emails. She goes, actually, I had one bit of gossipy info to share with you as well to come full circle. Dev uh, Hines was also pictured with/slash rumored to be dating Tessa Thompson. Not sure if they are still together or not right now, but now I've tied it into Westworld, so there you go. Um, How about that? Tessa, like I need to look this up really quickly uh, to see if this is the person that she collaborated with on for creed um i gotta check that out but you know there was like a musician she worked with for her like um music that she did for creed do you know what i'm talking about um does Mm. not seem to be this person okay never mind um okay so uh yeah so musically that's interesting to me i did not know that thank you so much BB. uh that the music is so uh cohesively of of a of an artistic point of view on this show that makes sense to me for sort of what they're going for here but i was wondering if you had any further thoughts on that richard yeah
0: i mean i found myself wondering and it wasn't so much a music cue but i think this all relates to each other um you know in a previous episode we see like a klaus nomi poster and it's like would a 15 year old in 2016 have that maybe um and in this episode he puts on the beret that is timmy's beret from the end of uh ilio's beret from the end of (laughs) call by your name and it's like okay did luca guadagnino like wear a beret when he was a teenager you know and and i think that like that's okay if we have this director this auteur guy like grafting some of himself onto these like more present tense kids um because what he if the specifics feel uh maybe biased toward guadagnino's own experience um the 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 more universal thing it would be that the music or whatever is like how they feel about it and what it says about their like nascent sense of identity and and things like that and um I don't know if that's at all an answer to that email, but or that or your question. But like, I don't know. I I, I think that like, I I appreciate the specific choices for what they say about Guadagnino. um, But I guess maybe sometimes I'm trying not to read into what those choices might say about the kid characters, because Mm. I don't know how much they're their own, I guess.
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's like that's like when um, the worst example of this, I think, is like. Something like Dawson's Creek, talking about like teen shows, uh, written by adults or stuff like that. But there's like so often, or or more recently, uh, the Halloween episode of Euphoria, like all the kids were dressed from like as like cultural references that really have nothing to do with their current generation. Um, and it, you know, you often see like the obsessions of the of the adult writers or showrunners grafted on to these teen characters which is uh, sometimes you know not not necessarily in this case with with blood orange but like that that is always like a hilarious thing to observe in a show yeah
0: at the same time though i mean like kids do are constant certain types of kids are constantly mining the past for material you know like um like fraser mentioning gi jane or, you know, TikTok kids obsessed with Clueless, or, you know. <laughs> yeah, that's true. No, b- and
1: it's, yeah, it's true. Like, there are some characters on Euphoria, like Rue, uh, Zendaya's character, like, who I would be like, okay, sure. But then there were some of the other characters who seemed to have yeah. n- zero cultural literacy, where I was like, hmm. And Frazier, <laughs> yeah, I can yeah. see Fraser making a G.I. Jane reference because I definitely believe that's something he like watched with Sarah or something like oh, that. You know for, what I mean? Oh, sure. Um, but yeah. All right. So, let's. Uh, Let's get, let's loop. Um, I have one more email and it's going to lead us into the, discussing that scene between Sarah and Harper at the end of the episode. And this email is from Mickey and it's titled Trans Perspective on Harper. Um, Mickey writes, I really enjoy your podcast and I was happy to see you covering We Are Who We Are since I decided to watch it as well. I found the show a little slow and I'm mainly stuck with it because I'm trans and I'm interested to see how the character of Harper would develop. I was really heartened by how from the very beginning you two chose to refer to Harper as Harper and use the pronouns they them. I know in the last episode you heard from a listener who criticized that choice as coming from an American perspective of needing to apply labels and pin things down. But I disagree. I work in the queer community, and I know how important it is to trans people to have their identities affirmed and how painful it is for them when relatives, employers, faith communities, etc., choose not to do that. Your choice early on was actually an example of best practices, in my opinion. It's common in the trans community to to default to they when one isn't sure what pronouns another person goes by. It's also seen as respectful to use the name someone chooses for themselves, as Harper did, uh, as opposed to their birth name. It's your choice, of course, but as a trans person and a fan of your podcast, I hope to continue I hope you continue the practice of referring to Harper as Harper and using they them best witches Mickey she slash her. So um, you know, I, I think I am gonna revert to doing that. I I think I think both emailers make good points, but uh what Mickey says sort of aligns with other experiences that I've had in the trans community. And I think with this episode in particular, and what we see here, I think that that is uh, sort of a reasonable best practice, at least for myself going forward. But I did want to talk to you about this scene with Harper and Sarah, which you with the pamphlet mm-hmm. and the presumptions um, that you, I think, referred to as uh, disgusting. I, I can't remember. Sinister. What you used. I Sinister. All right. Yeah. So from tell from me... Sarah's
0: POV, I think. Okay. Yeah.
1: Tell me. Tell me why you think that
0: i think that that sarah asking how is hunting and then sort of almost trying to one-up her inferior in the military Mm -hmm. with like well look how you know hip to things i am to the truth um it felt so self-serving and i couldn't tell how harper reacted i think that they like I think it was clearly a mixed reaction, you know, and also was being presented not only with an adult, but their dad's boss who was doing something that I guess you're told is like, look, an adult is at, is caring and like getting down on your level and trying to like see you and, and help you. And I think that that maybe is part of it. I don't think Sarah's like evil, but it just seemed so presumptuous. It's, it, it seemed a bit railroading in a way um, that like an adult. And to do it in a public place, I don't know, that, that an adult would um, just be so casual with all those assumptions um, felt a bit, like, bulldozing and, like, not fair to Harper's, like, development and her, and their experience, you know?
1: Yeah, I, I agree with you, and I also feel like it's it made me really uncomfortable. I was watching it for Harper's reaction specifically, and... They did seem to have, like, a little smile on their face as they were reading the pamphlet. And yeah. so, you know, I, I was like, I was going to take my reaction to the scene was really going to depend on how it landed with Harper, right? Um, but as with anything, and this is not a defense of her, this is just a truth of her, Sarah just has zero boundaries. I know a mm-hmm. lot of people like her. She's not just, like, uh, an alpha and vain and self-serving and all of that. It's just, like, the boundary issue, as we see in the scene with Fraser in the shower, um you know that that she feels or or the way that she was talking to Jonathan about Fraser um that she feels just incredibly entitled and like has more of an entitlement of that around her own son but like feels incredibly entitled to be in a, at everyone's business and when anyone calls her out on it she's just like what what i'm helping sort of thing uh it's so it's so familiar and toxic to me um that lack of respect for boundaries and especially with something as sensitive as what harper is dealing with here which which i think we've seen fraser support harper uh, in a way that feels so much healthier um, than what his mom the alleged adult in the room uh, winds up doing at the kfc in the like mini mall come on um so yeah i i felt so lonely I re- I really yeah did. and and i don't
0: you know it's not that like an adult who recognizes something in a kid should just shut up and never address it you know i i don't i don't it's not that it's just kind of the, the tone the way sarah went about it this sort of Angle of attack she used. Uh, And I guess in a way. Like maybe in some senses. And maybe I'm just gleaning this from like. 70s performance. But like. What. What that. I mean you know we have this other generational exchange. Between Jonathan and Fraser. like, But what this one meant for Sarah. Which was like. I am a. Powerful woman in a very. Very male field in a very you know patriarchal world and i see this kid who maybe through sarah's narrow view is in some sense is trying to adapt to that or transcend that or, or 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 change that i mean she literally says we have to change we want to i want to change this world and we have to know ourselves before we do that and i was there was a part of me that was like she's kind of talking more to herself than Harper in that moment and using Harper as this kind of like vessel through which to like effect change, I guess. And that felt, I don't want to say predatory exactly, but it felt opportunistic and um, in a a variety of ways. And that's why, I mean, it's a brilliantly played scene by both actors. It's just um, it, it, I think this whole episode, if we want to like go into more, like, and where the, the Trumpy thing at the end comes up is, like, there's so much darkness creeping up on the characters in this episode. Mm-hmm. So, like, a, a sense of mm-hmm. real menace, actually. And I don't know where that's going to go. But something tells me that because the end credit, the end credits were what they were, like, remember that? It fucking sucked. And it, you know, it shocked most people. shocked the world. No one saw that coming. And I just wonder if, like, maybe in a kind of obvious way, Guadagnino is, like, telegraphing something to us on the audience, being like something is coming something bad is coming and like all of this like youthful possibility is about to get like snuffed out or something i hope that's not true but maybe well
1: you know the reason that the television credits well a reason that the television is just playing over the credits is that sarah runs out of the room because she gets a call and i would i would assume if this were any other show i'd feel much more certain i would assume that the uh you know mission yeah that she sent um her troops on did not go well right. uh and she says how many so i would assume uh you know fatalities but uh this show is forever surprising me so i don't i don't you know i don't know but that that hammer dropping um at the same time as the as the trump hammer drops uh you know i, I think confirms your interpretation of this creeping menace i mean the same thing is true of like okay so um when Jonathan and Fraser sit down for dinner and Fraser is speaking in Italian to the waiter and says, is, house, yeah. Oh, sorry, Jonathan speaks to the waiter and says, The house special for three. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we, either, either if we speak Italian or we get the benefit of the subtitles, we're like, Oh no. <laughs> and mm-hmm. like Fraser is completely unaware for the next few seconds or minute or whatever. And we, so that, that, you know, and, and like, you know, the, this girl winds up being you know as a typical of the show she's not like your usual uh like in another show she would be like super mean to fraser and hanging all over jonathan or something like that she just seems like super she's cool chick or whatever but you know it 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 is a a menacing (laughs) thing that we're a dramatic irony thing that we're aware of that fraser's not aware of sort of thing so
0: yeah and i i don't know was it a hundred percent clarified that that was a girlfriend i mean i guess it was no yeah but like I mean, it. I think that they, they left that just ambiguous enough. Not that I'm, like, rooting for Jonathan and Fraser. I'm not. But, like, um, I don't know. I, I think that, like, the way that Jonathan's character was handled in this whole episode was so interesting. I think particularly, like, you know, I guess there was the war monument in an earlier episode. But there's this one where he takes Fraser deliberately to, to this place where battle. tens of thousands of young men were killed a hundred years ago and does it, I think to sort of kind of almost meanly prove a point to Fraser about like the 27 club joke and like what it means for young people to die at a, you know, and
1: oh, interesting. Yeah.
0: But also it kind of reminded you that like, that Jonathan like signed up for this thing that like, this is, you know, he, this is in him this this kind of militaristic reverence for that kind of sacrifice you know Mm. he's from of a country where all the young people have to be in the military for a period of time right you know and that is for been mired since its uh creation but you know like he so he you know for all of the kind of looseness and curiosity about art in the world that jonathan represents to Fraser. Here's another window into like who Jonathan actually is and the choices he's made and the things he values, um, and then that you know if there is this girlfriend that he's actually oh maybe he's a lot squarer than than Fraser thought or we thought you know, um, so I don't know if we're really like I think we're supposed to still really like Jonathan, but see his limits as like a a a sort of idol or object of whatever for for this kid.
1: I think just constantly the show is like, t- stop trying to define people. I think that's what the show is always trying to do. So we're like, okay, is Jonathan gay? Is he sexually interested in Frazier? Like, he smiles. Um, when he reads the inscription in like a way that seems like a bashful sort of flirty kind of thing he invites Fraser to this thing he doesn't like fully correct him when Fraser says it's a date and then changes to whatever but he goes he says whatever but he doesn't say this is not a date you know what I mean and then like this girl shows up so then you're like oh no he's straight and this is a big misunderstanding but then that's not how the night ends you know like this is the journey that I went on I was like Oh yes, he's gay. Oh no, he's straight. Oh no, this is there's going to be a threesome. Nope, it wasn't a threesome. It was just, like I definitely thought karaoke was like Backstreet Boys going to lead directly into like some sort of like threesome thing was sort of what I was anticipating, and it is not what happened. But I was just sort of but in that way, the show is just constantly like don't get comfortable with your assumptions that you understand what's going on and and it's and that is reflected in I think a character like Richard mm-hmm. who is asking Harper, like, are you dating Frasier? But isn't that kid gay? I thought that kid was gay. Is that he kid? He seems gay. gay. <laughs> yeah. He seems gay. He's gay, <laughs> you know what I mean? And you're like, Richard, buddy, no. I mean, like, let's let's just not box anyone. And also and also Richard also defying some expectations because, you know, we expected Richard to uh, you know, Lose it when he found out about Harper's hair, which he did. But then, you know, she makes, you know, a plea essentially for empathy at the end of last week's episode and he gives it to her, even though he doesn't, he's not fully informed about what's going on. Sorry to them. He's not fully, uh, you know, aware of what's going on. But in this episode, even though Harper is grounded, you know, Richard's not being awful to them he is trying in his in the best way that he understands in the best and limited way that he understands he is trying to connect with his child and in, in this episode mm-hmm. right yeah um which i think is once again w- not what i necessarily would have expected from a character like richard
0: yeah no I, I think it is really interesting the way that that whole hunting trip plays out especially the how eager harper seems to be about aspects of it Mm-hmm. but we've known that about them previous you know to this episode but i think that like that this episode has these two uh men taking their charges off into the wilderness to like teach them something or mm-hmm. show them something is interesting it's yeah. an interesting parallel and on the one hand you have this very like traditional like we're going to we're going to camp we're going to hunt we're going to you know maybe we'll have a little gruff bonding or i'll I'll pry into my kids life for a little bit you know while i have them captive essentially um and on the other you have this very nebulous what the hell's going on sort of fluid thing where in that scenario in the Jonathan Fraser scenario there is this kind of reverence for the past and a sort of a, a a sort of i think a an eagerness not to repeat it and a sort of questioning of where we are in history and in in this sort of flow of time whereas on the other it's richard kind of teaching ritual to his kid, this age old stuff, that this is what we do, you know, regardless of the gender question at the center of their relationship, here's still just like tradition. So you have tradition and then you have another side of things that is like reverent of tradition, but also is kind of allowing for the new. So you have Mm. Trump on one side and you have Hillary Clinton on the other. (laughs) If you, or the Republicans on one side and the Democrats, I mean, Democrats, not like progressives, Democrats on the other. Like, I feel like that dichotomy was not Again, going back to the end of the episode, an accident.
1: It's interesting because, um, so <laughs> quick tangent. Um, I have, uh, I watched all of season four of The Crown. This is related, I promise. Uh, we can't really talk about it yet. I think we're still under embargo on that. I know, Richard, you watched at least some of it, mm-hmm. but uh, it got me thinking about, um, again, my favorite royal, which is, um, Princess Anne and um who i only have just dis- have discovered is my favorite royal because of the crown so i watched please don't judge me i watched a documentary on princess anne because i was just interested you work at vanity and- fair i
0: feel like it's required
1: <laughs> and um and something that you know and actually one of the main talking heads on this documentary was um our royal correspondent which was pretty funny <laughs> but um but one of the phrases that they used over and over and over again in that documentary is that Princess Anne is the son Prince Philip never had. Um that which is just you know a a nasty little dig at Charles, um, but also just an exploration of the relationship that Philip and Anne have, which is, uh, between father and daughter, which is incredibly close, and they're both like they enjoy the horses and the what you know they they bond over the thing, and Charles is more artistically inclined, etc. Um, and I was just thinking about that as it as it pertains to like Richard and Harper, who he thinks of as Caitlin, where like because he has rejected Danny as a child essentially that caitlin is the son you know uh, caitlin as he views he her caitlin is the son he never had and it's, so it's so it will be incredibly interesting you know that's just such an incredibly interesting dynamic for the show to have set up that Richard is treating this child um as if they were a son but will that view of them help him through what is coming or what may be coming in terms of actual gender identity and expression. Yeah. Does that make any sense?
0: No, it does make sense. And I think that's kind of partly what made me detect this note of menace creeping. It's not just the Sarah scene. It's the way that Richard was looking at Fraser when the kids were leaving school. It's the questions that he asked about Fraser. It's the knowledge of, like that we saw early in the season that like, there's a tension at least maybe it's unstated, but like a tension between Sarah and Richard and, you know, this political tension and all this stuff. Like, I'm just a little concerned that like that is going to come to some sort of a breaking point Completely. in the next two episodes. I, yeah, you know, it could be violent. I mean, you know, if you want to follow certain rules, guns have been introduced, you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, clearly in two instances now at least in one it would probably be a violation from richard's perspective that sarah took uh, harper shooting mhm and then in this this episode that is actually a violation i in some senses you know mm-hmm. it was really not sarah's purview to have that conversation with harper even if there was an altruism and, and a genuine compulsion to do good and I'm, again i'm not trying to discourage adults you know to like
1: i think there's a version of that conversation that could have happened that didn't feel quite so
0: thank you yeah Yeah, exactly yeah so like should richard find out about that like that could be really bad and um so i don't know i think that like maybe the dangerous thing is just what sarah got the phone call about and that's going to be how the show kind of reminds us of like the violence of the world but uh i don't know i feel like it's going to be a little more local than that
1: no, I mean Richard definitely feels like a coiled spring and like we saw that in his interaction with his wife. And um I just want to I just want to be like cognizant of the w- ways in which this show constantly surprises me of my expectations of things. So like um I just want to leave the door open for it to not go horribly, but it'll probably go horribly. Um the it's just interesting cuz like I, I don't know. Oh, like I was expecting there to be some kind of explosion on the camping trip when it turns out that Harper's a really good um, Marks person, and like if Harper had said, "Well, Sarah's been showing me," mm-hmm. you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like that could have gone incredibly badly, but Harper was smart enough to not say that. Um, but yeah, I, I I have questions. I have concerns. Um, both of these children. Uh, feel like they're in a very potentially very vulnerable position both Fraser and Harper. Um and I think that like yeah
0: to varying degrees I mean Harper is obviously more keenly aware of the imminent sort of unsafety of her life or excuse me of their life um I yeah but I think Fraser isn't and it's like clearly but like there is there's there's something there there's there's risk you know um and I think uh it would it would be blinkered of a show a fantasy of a show to not show to like not depict any of that risk and not depict any of that danger um i just can't really tell because like you said like the show is hard to predict like i can't tell like how harsh the realization is going to be you know yeah i hope it's not like too extreme
1: the last thing I well, one other thing that I want to bring up um that this episode deals with is is Maggie. We mentioned Maggie earlier in terms of <clears throat> being a potential surrogate for some members of the audience uh worried about uh, you know, an an older man and a young boy, and stuff like that. But also what's going on with Maggie in this episode is that she's constantly on texting on her phone. Yeah. Um, stuff like that. If my interpretation of what we see is that Sarah knows what's going on and that this is, this is like part of their relationship and it's, if not okay, is something that is like allowed. Does that make sense to you as an interpretation?
0: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that little scene up because I was I, I was going to ask you about it if you didn't. Um yeah. I liked it, you know, like the, the, like, the smelling of things, like, that's clearly, like, that was in Comma by Her Name, and and, and and Fraser, like, smells the dinosaur and the other thing, and, and then Sarah's smelling the clothes, and it's kind of this, like, sweet moment of, like, oh, right, like, it's her son, and she loves him, and then she turns her head, and then there's, like, a whole other family thing <laughs> happening that yeah. she's maybe not been paying as much attention to. I don't know what that sort of look was, you know? It was clearly a realization of something. Um, well,
1: she said she said this thing earlier also where she was like, you've not been spending a lot of time in the house. Right. And it didn't seem to me to read as like, and I don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's like, I know why you haven't been around. And while this is technically allowed in our marriage, uh, I don't love it. Or or like, is this going to, you know, maybe I'm like way over interpreting something very small. But like, is this going to be a problem? Like, is this something bigger than our usual allowed extramarital flirtations or relationships you know
0: well yeah i mean you know maybe they have an open relationship to some degree you know and yeah. I, I think the aesthetics of the way that their house we see a lot of their house in this episode and we see you know sarah kind of like casually picking a book off the shelf and because like oh my kid's gone i have some free time i'm gonna go take a sexy bath with my wife and maybe i'll read a book and and the house is decorated in a certain way and and so you know maybe they have a certain more cosmopolitan progressive view of things the real problem is again with the menace is uh maggie is with (laughs) richard's wife yeah and so from a certain perspective here comes this vampiric family that shows up on the base seizes control and then like just attaches itself (laughs) to this other family you know and and i I, you know i think that that would that would be almost like uh what's the 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 castle defense the stand your ground kind of thing it would be like no i've i was invaded we were invaded this is not this was this is defense you know mm-hmm. um if the show goes that way
1: yeah um i do want to say for the record that we got uh, some emails and i definitely got some tweets and comments from people being like joanna you're so naive that you didn't see <laughs> the maggie and jenny thing coming so uh you know everyone disagreeing with you richard that uh uh I guess – I I think, once again, this speaks to the show subverting my – I just don't ever think of the, like – I don't expect the, the, quote, unquote, nice, passive partners to be the ones engaging in an affair. Mm. And I would expect a Richard or a Sarah who are uh, more self-serving, more in need of validation, seemingly – to be the ones to conduct an affair um not necessarily with each other but i just mean like outside their own marriage and um uh, you know but as everyone including yourself pointed out uh fingers in the pie should have yeah. told me well, where this is going but, so you know but
0: i mean part of that is that, like you know i studied theater in college and like you know i think it was aeschylus who established that dramatic precept that like if <laughs> if you see fingers go into any sort of baked good yeah. A romance is gonna come out of that. So that's uh-huh. just an old yeah. like theater major thing. Oh, of course, of yeah. course,
1: yeah. Aeschylus is big yeah. good yeah. Uh, yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um <laughs> anyway. Oedipus I, you and know, his I, mom
0: do it. It, <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was a it was a tart, if I recall correctly. Um yeah, so it's uh, it, it's interesting. The Maggie stuff is interesting to me. That also seems like potentially headed for uh disaster. They did so let me ask you a question and I maybe need to rewatch some Guadagnino movies. Uh what a chore. But um the staring down the camera technique I associate very closely with Barry Jenkins. Um is that something that Luca Guadagnino has used in um his filmography that you can recall?
0: Are like do you mean that particularly the the music the the dance thing or or
1: No, no, sorry. I mean uh staring down the camera I mean there's a shot reverse shot of um Maggie and Sarah, where the camera is close to them and they're looking direct. They're not looking to the left or the right of the camera. They're looking directly at the camera. Um, And that's something that, like, Barry Jenkins does it uh, in, I think he has a name for it, but I can't remember what it is. But he does it often, like, silently. You'll just get, like, Kiki Lane or Andre Holland, just like, (laughs) I fucking you through the camera whatever it is um you know and there was this interesting moment where it's like maggie and sarah are looking at each other but they're looking at us actually yeah um and i don't recall that being something he does often
0: no that's a good point i hadn't yeah i don't know i mean there's a lot of interesting aesthetic stuff in this episode that's interesting i love the way that kind of dusky scene where harper's looking for a cell connection and richard is calling her name and that like marshy thing that was beautiful yeah and then the like the dance thing where like they're clearly just fancying themselves in a music video that's why they're looking at camera in that that scene but but yeah i don't know that's interesting um i hadn't thought about that
1: all right well is there anything else um we want to talk about in this episode
0: um no well Well, the dance sequence is
1: fan that was a fantasy right
0: I yeah, mean, totally. Yeah. I, I think guess. it was just trying to express <laughs> that like we're getting torn apart from each other right now because Harper has to go do this thing with their dad and yeah. whatever. But like in inside, maybe even just the language of text messages, we're like having a having a little kiki, you know. <laughs>
1: Um, I did love Harper's text that was like, "What if he's a psycho?" And in the same breath, "What if you fall in love?" Like yeah. those are two, uh, you know, and, and this, you know, as you mentioned before, this this uh, close contract contrast between danger and death, and war memorials and blah blah, and life and love and passion and youthful excitement, um, and how close they are, um. It's interesting. I didn't. I didn't remember that he uses a war memorial in "Call Me by Your Name," but like that just drives home uh, the idea that. I mean, it's in, in a bigger splash too. There's a murder, and then there's, uh, you know, there's a death, and then there's um, like sex and passion and stuff like that. So you know, it's 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 the Romeo and Juliet thing, which we talked about. Uh, you know, two up in the party episode two episodes ago. Like it it's just. These kids are drenched in, in like death and war and all this sort of stuff, like that. But also, life and love and passion exist there as well. And are they the same? Are they, do they stand in contrast to each other? Um, what we are who we are. That's it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the end. <There> you go. <laughs> all right. Uh, Richard, until next week, where can folks find you?
0: well on twitter at rylaws and writing at vf.com um but actually um it's kind of exciting this weekend uh well i guess you'll hear this after the weekend but the older guy i have a crush on is taking me to gettysburg i don't know i guess what? to like i don't know there's like a field there something happens. so that that should oh be my kind God. of fun yeah
1: i guys i hope you guys pee together on the field. <laughs> oh we didn't talk about that <laughs> well
0: i think we all got what that was what that was but um anyway uh until, uh, until next week when we can talk more about the peeing if you want <laughs> Where will you be, Joanna?
1: Uh, VF.com. You can hear us uh, over on Little Gold Men, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I will be performing my favorite karaoke song. Actually, it genuinely is. I want it that way as a karaoke banger. So um, I will be performing some Backstreet Boys at karaoke at a restaurant somewhere. That's um, <laughs> otherwise closed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah sounds good. Uh, all right. We will see you all next week. Ciao.